chapter 28. We'll begin there in just a minute. But before we actually get to the uh, sermon, we had yesterday a blowout Women's Day. Now, uh, naturally, uh, I was not in attendance, but uh, I know uh, I know uh, the, the women, of course, were. And I want to take just a moment for some of the women. Just stand up where you are, and uh, if you had something to say or share about the Women's Day, uh, Gina is already up. I mean, she's fired up. So, yeah, we'll go with you first. Now, keep it brief because I want to have several of you have an opportunity. Okay. Well, it was wonderful, and um, honestly, the number of tables was pretty confusing as well. But um, I, you Wonderful. Great. Anybody else? Sisters that'd like to share? Yes, ma'am. Go ahead. Uh, you know, one of the most encouraging things was uh, it's such a small world. And uh, that was the name of our theme. Our theme is on tables. But the reason I'm saying that is because I invited this one person and I was standing in line and I did a double take because. Um, one of the uh, coaches that I work with uh, was invited by another sister, uh, Cheryl, the one that spoke. And I thought it was so cool because the, uh, her name is uh, Maggie. Where's Amy? Amy? Amy got to share. She shared first. And she's from Hong Kong. And I just thought it was so awesome. Nothing happens by circumstance. Uh, no. It's not like coincidence. Coincidence, that's the word. Um, because she was so impacted. She was from Hong Kong, and she was totally relating to what Amy shared. And I just thought that was awesome because I didn't invite her. And I had seen this coach on Wednesday, and then Cheryl invited her. She was there. And then there was another person that had retired from the school that I worked with. So I was like, wow. I mean, there were was, there was so many people. So you never know who you're going to love everyone with. That's great. <laughs> compliments about the music. It was really, really awesome. The band was really great. And the guys took a little bit of ribbing for being like the only four guys in this giant sea of They were very, very gracious and the singing was incredible. So I just wanted to share that. Wonderful. That's great. Relationships, and I, I was just proud of the sisters being so down to earth, so real, 
It was not religious. It was relatable to everyone that was there. And uh, it was just one of the most incredible women's days I personally have been to. So. Fantastic. Okay, are you in Matthew 28? Verse 19. The passage I'm going to read is called the Great Commission. Jesus says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, the importance of this, obviously, is that the commission is to go where? To go into all of the world. And that was the intention of Jesus, is that this is not going to be something that's just going to happen in a particular part of the world, a particular people, but this is going to go to everybody. This is going to go everywhere. Now, what we have from the end of the book of Matthew, then, into the first part of the book of Acts, is you have... Him telling them, this is what I want you to do. Go make disciples. Baptize them. And he says this interesting thing that sometimes doesn't get quite as much uh, attention. In verse 20, he says, And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So the Great Commission is not just to go into all the world, all different kinds of people, and baptize them. But it's also then... To teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. It's almost like a, a part A and then a part B, if you know what I'm saying. It's okay, we've got to get this going, but there's a continuation of things that should be going on in those people's lives. Now look over to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is important because it is what they did first after Jesus told them to go and to make disciples. We're going to look in uh, up in verse... Uh, 38, Peter is speaking to the uh, people that are gathered there in Jerusalem. It, uh, they ask him at the end of verse uh, 37 there, he says, Brothers, what shall we do? In other words, their response to Peter's preaching is, What do we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So the church begins, and on the very first day, there are about 3,000 people that are baptized. They didn't even have an exact count. They just said, wow, we did the best we could counting. We're sure we didn't get everybody. But there was about 3,000 people that were baptized at the church uh, in, in Jerusalem at that time. Then verse 42 through 47 gives us a very clear kind of snapshot of what happened with these people. Now remember, Jesus says, I want you guys to go into all the world, make disciples, baptize them, and then teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. So what they do now with these 3,000 people is going to be a very good understanding on our part, of what they understood they were supposed to do. You understand what I'm saying? Are you following me here? Jesus says, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Well, okay, let's look and see what they did. Verse 42. They, meaning the 3,000, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. 
Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. What did they do with these people now that they had baptized them? Well, interestingly enough, they taught the people because the people, it says in verse 42, learned from the apostles. They did what the apostles told them to do. They obeyed the the apostles' teachings, if you know what I'm saying. They met together with each other which must have been somewhat of what the apostles told them to do. They met together. It says even on a daily basis, they had relationship with each other. They met together on a daily basis. They had communion with each other. They broke bread with each other. Apparently that was a big thing. The apostles had done that with Jesus. Remember, Jesus has the Last Supper with them. He says, I want you to share this with you before I go and suffer. And He broke the bread. He handed it out to them. And then they passed around uh, the wine or the fruit of the, uh, the vine. Uh, grape juice as we would understand it perhaps today. They had communion with each other. And they prayed with each other. So you've got those sort of four things that are going on there in verse 42. As you go on down, verse 43 through verse 47, what do we find that they did? They helped each other. Because many of these people were in Jerusalem for the Feast of the Pentecost. They weren't from Jerusalem, but they had come to Jerusalem for this Jewish feast. They become followers of Jesus at this feast. They were baptized. Now they understand my life has now changed. So they're from all over the Roman world and they are now staying in Jerusalem. And so you have a bunch of them that are from Jerusalem and you have a bunch of them that are not. Now the exact breakdown of numbers, who knows? You know, maybe maybe 1,500 were in-town people and 1,500 were out of town. I have no idea. But obviously some of them owned homes. And some of them were from faraway places and they didn't own a home in town. And so they helped these people They let them eat in their homes. They share uh, meals with them in their homes. They helped them by going and selling the things they owned to give them uh, assistance, if you know what I'm saying. They sacrificed for each other. And they were hospitable for each other. If you want to put a title on the lesson today... A good title might be this, The Dynamics of Healthy Discipling Relationships. Because we have an incredible snapshot here. What did they do? And it details out what they did. Now I want to go backwards a half step, and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about more specifics there from Acts 2. But I want us to go back and I want us to look at two of the Scriptures where Jesus talked about relationships. Because obviously they've got these people now in relationships. That's pretty easy to see, right? But we're going to have to go a half step back and see what did Jesus teach about relationships. Look over to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. We've got to go back a little bit because Jesus says, teach them everything I've commanded you. Now we know there's a lot of relationship teaching going on because that's what's shared about That's what these people, these 3,000 people, that's what they get into. They're concerned with their relationship with God and their relationships with each other as we look at that. So we've got to go back and say, okay, what did Jesus teach that they're trying to teach them? In Matthew chapter 20, actually let's begin in verse 24. You guys there? Okay, here we go. Actually, what's going on here is that uh, Peter, uh, or James and John rather, had come to Jesus with their mother and uh, had made a request saying, can we sit on your right and your left uh, in your glory? Which was, you know, a bit of a presumptuous thing to do. Uh, you know, can we have the most important places in heaven? Uh, you know, that's a typical mom though, you know, moms are always looking out for their kids. And uh, so they bring their mom and the mom comes with them and, you know, that, that's what's been asked here. 
Okay, in verse 24 it says, When the ten heard about, that, about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. <laughs> well, you can imagine that. Uh, you know, the other, the other guys say, Hey, come on, man, you did an end run with, this, with your mother. Come on, what's up with that? Uh, you know, uh, if you want to talk to Jesus, that's one thing. You don't bring your mom into the whole thing. <laughs> and so they're indignant. So you have a little bit of a, a, you know, bad attitudes going on within the group right now. And so uh, in verse 25 it says, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first, because they certainly did, didn't they? He says, Whatever, whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. This is an incredible passage of Jesus talking about what does it mean to have relationships? What does it mean to have any position of leadership over other people and helping other people? He says if you want to be a leader, you must be what? A servant. A slave, He says. He says just as the Son of Man, meaning Himself, just as I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. This is a really important passage of Jesus' teachings about what does it mean to have relationships with people. He says if you want to have relationships with people where you can have any kind of good influence on them, perhaps in a leadership mode, you're going to have to be a servant, not a master. You're going to have to be there to to, to serve, to give, instead of to receive. So this is one of Jesus' teachings on relationship. Look over to John 13. We'll see another teaching of Jesus on relationships. John 13, verse 34. We're going to begin. Some of these passages, for some of you, are very familiar. But you know what? One of the things I've learned about studying the Bible is that you have to go back over things that you've read and know uh, before they actually sometimes mean more to you now than when you first read them. Because they hit your heart again. It's the power of the Word. Jesus here is once again talking to the disciples. In verse 34, He says, A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He says you've got to love each other, guys. Actually, the, the, the command to love people is not a new command. The new commandment here is not to love each other, but to love as Jesus loved. He says, you've observed me now for the better part of three years and how I love you. Now, if you really want to love, you're going to have to love the way I love. That's the description now of love. And of course, we know even going back to Matthew 20, the passage you read earlier, Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life for other people. So this idea of serving, giving, uh, seeing yourself as someone that, that can be a help to other people is the kind of mindset that you have to have if you're really going to be following Jesus' teachings. Look over to John 15, a very similar passage. John 15, verse 12. My command is this, Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than, the, than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Now, Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations. First thing they do is they go into Jerusalem to the Pentecost feast. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They preach to these people. About 3,000 people are baptized. So you've got a big bunch of people now that were Jewish, probably almost to a single one at this particular time. They understood the old law, but they didn't understand Jesus' teachings because most of them had not been around Jesus. Now, the apostles are leading this church now of about 3,000 people and they are going to commence to teach them everything I have commanded you. You following me? Let's get down now and let's detail out some of this as it pertains to our life. Just let me add though one more thing before I get to that. Many times when people think of Christian relationships, disciple relationships, they, they, they think, well, uh, you know, Christians are a, a friendly people. And I think for the most part that would be an accurate statement. You know, if, if you go into church, I mean, people are friendly for the most part. 
uh, hopefully, uh, you know, and, and, and yeah. certainly so for our, for our church here. Although I must say, a, several years back, uh, uh, I had a, a woman, uh, actually was a visitor to our church, uh, came up to me after church and said, are you the, the pastor for this church? And I said, yes, I am. And she said, well, I'll be praying for you. Uh, she said, because I've got to tell you, uh, this is maybe the most unfriendly church I've ever attended. Wow. And I said, well, oh, that's not encouraging. Uh, so, for those of us who have been around for a long time, we've come a long way. I don't think people walk into church now and say, wow, this is the most unfriendly group I've ever seen in my life. I think quite the opposite. I think they come in and say, this is a great group. I obviously feel the love and the spirit that these people have for each other. But back to the idea of friendly, because this friendly thing can be a real fake out. Just because someone is friendly does not necessarily mean that the other components here that we're going to be looking at are going on in their life. You know, friendliness, you can, you can sort of act friendly, you can sort of learn to be friendly, uh, you know, you meet someone, hey, how you doing? You know, and, and you know all the social cues to, you know, sort of have a, a, a really shallow kind of conversation. You know, yada, 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 yada. And, and then, you know, you, you walk away and, boy, that was really a friendly person. Have you ever met someone in life that the first time you met them, you thought, man, what a great person. And then you get to know them over time and you're like... <laughs> Friendly, yes. But not really much beyond that. Jesus' teachings here are obviously a lot deeper than just being friendly. I mean, friendly is good. If you're not friendly, you know, start it, start at the ABCs here. If you're not friendly, then you should start being friendly. But if you're really going to get to what Jesus is talking about here, you're going to have to drill down a little bit deeper than that, if you understand what I'm saying. Okay, now let's go back to Acts 2. Let's look at these dynamics of what it really means that these people are now being taught by the apostles to obey everything Jesus told them to do. Point number one, they helped each other. That's pretty obvious, isn't it? As you read through Acts 2, 42-47, they helped each other. Many of these people didn't live in Jerusalem. They didn't have a place to live. They didn't have a place to eat. They didn't have a place to to change their clothes, to to bathe, to wash their clothes. All the daily necessities of life, uh, you know, they were from somewhere else. And they needed a a place to, to do all these things. They helped each other along the way. Some of these people that had traveled to Jerusalem were wealthy people. Evidenced by the fact that they traveled to Jerusalem. If they were poor people, they probably couldn't have made the travel to Jerusalem. So the people from out of town had money. The people from in town had a house. They helped each other. If you've ever had someone live in your house uh, for several weeks, you, you realize, you know, when people live in your house, they eat. <laughs> and so you have sort of the normal amount of food that you would buy, you know, for whatever size of family you're is. You know, if someone else is living in your house or a whole other family is living in your house, I mean to tell you, the milk is gone. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The butter is gone. I just got a tub of butter. It's gone. The bread is gone. There are no eggs. I mean... <laughs> We're out of toilet paper. Uh, I mean, mean, you've got to get down here. You've got to realize you've got people from out of town that are now living in your house. These people were helping each other. And and, and what you would imagine happened, I'm sure, is that the people who were from out of town said, Hey, let me kick in. I'll go to the grocery store or to the market or whatever they went to in their time. And I'll buy the groceries this week, you know, and that kind of thing. They're helping out each other. They're helping each other out in their relationship with God. It says that they were praying up in Acts 2 there, right? In 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to teach, uh, to, uh, to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They're praying with each other. They're helping each other pray. 
They're helping with a relationship with God. Think about your relationships here and what can you be doing? You can be doing these very same things. How can you help someone? You can help them pray. You know how you help someone learn how to pray? The best way is to pray with them. Most of us, when we became Christians, had very little understanding of how to pray. I know I I didn't have... I'd gone to church as a kid growing up. I knew the idea. I knew sort of what would be said in prayer and all that. But you know, the first few times that I sat down with someone, let's pray together. It wasn't like I was very verbal or flowing. You know what I'm saying? It was like, Almighty God. Uh, You know, Father at the beginning of the sentence. Father at the end of the sentence. Uh, Father, Father, Father. Uh, we've, we've all been there. That's why we chuckle. You can help someone pray by praying with them. Just them hearing your prayer, obviously, is a helpful thing in this. You can help someone learn how to study the Bible. Once again, how do you help someone learn how to study the Bible? Probably by opening a passage and talking about it together. Let's read this. What do you get? How do you hear it? These people helped each other. Now, they didn't have Bibles, but they did have the old law. And and they, they memorized the old law as they were children growing up in Jewish homes. And, and that was a big part of their, their life. Remember the Old Testament says you, you take the Scriptures and you put them on the, on the door frames of your homes. You put them uh, where people will see them all the time. And these people growing up in Jewish homes knew the Scriptures. They oftentimes didn't really obey them very much, but they had at least a, an understanding of them. To help someone oftentimes is to advise them. To help them with... Things that might be going on in their life that you can give them some level of wisdom in. Let me give you some different ideas here. This idea of how do you help someone spiritually? If they're married, an obvious question is, how's your marriage going? That's good. And when people begin to talk a little bit, you know, usually the first answer to that is, oh, my marriage is going fine. Well, tell me about, you know, and as you ask about three questions, man, now you're getting in a little deeper and, uh, you know, uh, obviously things may not be quite as good as it seemed like when they said fine. But you can talk and you can help someone with their marriage. If you're not married, uh, you probably shouldn't be giving marriage advice. Just so I throw that in. Uh, for sometimes, you know, people who aren't married think, well, uh, you know, it doesn't look that hard to me. Uh, obviously, you should do that. What's wrong with you? Uh, if, if, if you're not married, I probably wouldn't be doing that if I were you. That's probably not going to work very good in your life. Advice on dating. You say, well, I don't need dating advice. I know how to date. Really? Where did you learn? Did you take a class at junior college? Uh, Was that in the high school curriculum uh, of of your high school? No. Where do people learn to date? Really? Really? Going to the movies will give you a, a great idea of how to date? Oh, <laughs> You know, as with many things, as with many things, there should be a difference between how God's people conduct their romantic relationships and how people in the world conduct theirs. I was just talking to a guy this week, and he said, yeah, he said, you know, it's amazing. When I became a Christian, someone said, uh, you know, I, I, let's talk about dating here. And, and he said, oh, no, I got dating down. And, and, uh, uh, and they went on talking about he and he, he said, oh, you mean you don't have sex? No. Huh. And I'm, we're all adults here. I'll, I'll just say what he said. He says, well, you know, can I at least fill her up? 
no. Now, why did that young man say that? Because that's what young men think. Sometimes for, for girls, that, that, that's a real eye-opener. For other girls, it's like, no, I'm well aware. <laughs> you can help someone learn how to have a pure dating relationship. You can advise them. You can help them. They need help in that area. Doesn't mean they're stupid. Doesn't mean that they're they're incapable of understanding it on their own. It's just that they've never been there. They haven't done that, and they might need some advice on that. You can advise someone uh, advise someone on their financial dealings. Listen, this is how I sat down with, with uh, a couple of the girls uh, in the room here a couple weeks ago. I said, okay, here's sort of the idea of how to do your, your finances. And, and it wasn't anything profound. I just said, well, you sort of put the income on this side of the page and the outgo on the other side. Of the page, and hopefully the outgo is not more than the income. And, you know, uh, if it is, you're going to have to sort of adjust the way the outcome is, uh, the outgoing is, is going on. You're going to have to less out. You know, and, and you know, the out is not going to have to be bigger than the in. And you say, wow, that's really deep. Uh, you know what? I'll tell, tell you how deep it is, guys, is that the, that, that the vast majority of Americans are in debt. That's how deep it is. It's not a matter of whether you can understand how to manage your finances. Do you have any discipline, any conviction that would allow you to actually discipline your life? But you can give someone advice on how to handle their money, how to handle their career. One of the guys uh, in, in the room got a haircut. A couple weeks ago I said, Hey, I thought you were going to let your hair grow and you are going to get a ponytail. And he looked at me and said, Hey, I need a job. <laughs> Somewhere along the line, it wasn't me, but I bet somewhere along the line, someone said to him, if you want to get a job, you better start looking a little better because you're going to have to interview and you're going to have to present yourself in such a way that they'd want to hire you. You know, you can advise people on that. You know, there's a lot of reasons people don't have jobs. There's a lot of people in California right now don't have jobs. Maybe some of them need to get a haircut. <laughs> Maybe some of them need to have a brother or sister that, that love them enough or a relationship in their life that cares about them enough to say, listen, if you really want to be employed, you're going to have to straighten up. We can help people with their career. We can help people with their schooling. It's amazing to me, dealing with campus students for many, many, many years, how many people get to college and don't know how to study. Basic, fundamental study skills. Discipline required to get your schoolwork done and get it done on time. I've shared this with many of you many, many times. When I went to college, I was not a good student in high school. I was on the wrestling team. The only thing that meant anything to me was, was it wrestling season or was it football season? I figured I was going to go to school on a scholarship anyway, and it didn't make any difference to me. And I asked the coach when, when we were uh, uh, walking on campus, I said, I'm a little concerned about schoolwork. And he said, don't worry about it. He said, you need to go to class every day and you need to get your homework in on time and you'll graduate. He said, don't worry about it. There's a lot of dumb people graduate from college every year. Wow. And you know what? I've been the campus minister at University of Chicago, at Northwestern, USC, UCLA, Northern Illinois University. Any others, Chris? <laughs> University of Illinois, Chicago. It doesn't make any difference if you're going to a highfalutin, demanding college school or if you're going to a place that is just a, 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 a place to go to college and get a degree. If you go to class and if you get your homework done on time, you'll graduate. 
A lot of people flunk out of college. Why? Not because they're not intelligent. But they needed someone to help them with their basic fundamental study skills. That's helping people. Helping people with their health. Loving people enough to say, hey, you've got to work on your diet. You've got to quit eating so much junk food. You, 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 you need some fundamental understanding of what food is and food groups. You know? Big Mac is not a food group. You can help people. You can help people with their parenting. Children do not come with instruction booklets. There's never been a mom or a dad alive with a new baby that doesn't look at that baby with wonder and awe and and abstract fear. I don't know what to do, when to do it, how to do it, and you can read the video, you can watch the book, you can do whatever you want. You are going to be confused, and you are going to doubt yourself, and... Sometimes that, that, that older moms need to teach younger moms how to do their children. The Bible talks about that. That's helping someone. Helping someone with pregnancy. We have several women in the group here that are pregnant, some for the first time. I'm telling you, you go through pregnancy the first time, you can read the book. You don't know what's going on. It's a mystery. It, 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 it is an awe. You're like, I cannot believe what's happening in my, to my body. Uh, you know, the husband looks at your body and says, I can't believe what's happening to your body. <laughs> Holy cow! What is happening to the woman I married? <laughs> it's confusing. It, it, it's disorienting. You need help? And we could go on, couldn't we? When Jesus says, be a servant... When he says that real love is not just being friendly. Real love is helping somebody. Actually getting your hands dirty. Actually going over the uncomfortable barrier that that stops at, at the superficial friendly and actually say, can I help you with your life? And having a sense that this is my role. I'm trying to be like Jesus here. I'm trying to not be served, but serve. You know, when people come to church and say, well, I didn't get much out of it. Really? (laughs) And just whose fault is that? If you come to church and you want to serve, you want to love, you want to give, I'm telling you, you're going to leave church feeling awesome. Because you're being like Jesus. That's what this church was like. Number two, they sacrificed for each other. What does it mean to sacrifice for you and me? It means things which mean money. Sacrifice of our time. Sacrifice of our effort. Our effort physically, emotionally. It's sacrifice of our comfort. We can sacrifice. These people sacrificed for each other. They sold things that they owned and they gave the money to people who needed it. We should sacrifice for each other. We have a special contribution coming up. It needs to be a sacrifice, brothers and sisters. If it's not a sacrifice, then you're just giving off the top. It's easy. It doesn't cost you anything. If your contribution doesn't cost you anything, if it doesn't inconvenience you, if it doesn't dent your lifestyle in some way, then you need to ask yourself, are you giving what I should be giving? 
They sacrificed their time. A lot of us, man, we say, man, my time, my time. I don't have enough time. We have in this group here family groups that are way too big. And let me tell you why they're too big. Because we don't have enough people that will be leaders. Now, is it that we don't have people that are not talented enough to be leaders? No, this is not a talent issue. Talent has absolutely nothing to do with it. This is an extraordinarily gifted and talented group that I'm standing before this morning. We have family groups that are too big to function efficiently. And they're too big because people say, I don't want to be a leader. I used to be a leader, but I don't want to be a leader anymore. What are you actually saying? And let me just be as blunt as I can be here, and I know that will shock you. Let me lay it out. What you are saying is, my time is more important than the person who is a leader and their time. It's okay for them to sacrifice their time, but my time is more important than theirs. You're saying, I don't want to get involved. What does that mean? That means I don't want to feel the pressure of people. Because when you try to help people, when you try to lead people, when you try to give to people, it, it wears on you. It is a burden to you. There are members that I know are not here this morning. I can tell you, as, as a pastor and leader of this group, as a minister in this church, I know they're not here. And it burdens me. Leadership is a burden. And you're saying, I'm talented enough. I know I'm talented enough. I've done it before. I don't want to do it now because my time is too important and I don't want to feel the burden. You need to, you need to look in the mirror, brothers and sisters. This is, and I'm being as honest as I can here. This is ridiculous. You say, well, I need a break. Amen. Take a break. But you know what? A vacation has an ending time. <laughs> At least every vacation I've, any vacation I've ever took in my life has had an ending day. And I, you know what? I know what it feels like at the ending day. You're like, oh, I wish I could stay here forever. But you can't stay there forever. Heaven, apparently, according to the Scriptures, is, is going to be wonderful. And we can stay there forever. So great, you took a break. When are you going to re-engage? When are you going to kick back in? How long did these people stay in their homes? The Bible doesn't say. Was it a month? Was it three? We don't know. But somewhere along the line, they eventually probably went home. But there was sacrifice involved. Why didn't they go back home? You say, well, they should have just gone back home because they had changed their life. They've become Christians now. They were learning a whole new concept of what it meant to be God's people. I need to stay here longer so I can learn, so I can grow. There was sacrifice going on in these people's lives. Jesus said, lay down my life. What does it mean to lay down your life? It means you lay it down. You say, well, Jesus, did Jesus lay it down? Yeah, He did. He laid it down. Anyone who sacrifices for someone else at some point says, I could do something other than this with my time and my emotional energy, but I'm going to lay down my life. As a minister, I can't tell you. I've been in ministry now for about 30 years, I think. I can't even... A long time. <laughs> Since 1978. Do the math. What is that? 33? I'm over 30 years. I went into the ministry to help the kingdom of God grow and to minister to people. I'm not interested in church politics. I'm not interested in position. I'm not interested in whose name gets mentioned at the seminar. Amen. 
Sometimes ministers go off on their little flighty things of what they would have done or what they could have done and what kind of money or home or house they'd have had or car if they hadn't gone to the ministry. I have no earthly idea what my life would have been had I not gone to the ministry. And I'm not stupid enough to think, oh, I was going to make a million dollars. <laughs> I have no idea what my life would have been and neither does anybody else know. You can't go back to the fork in the road and say, if I had gone down that road, my life would have been this and this and this and this. You have no idea what your life would have been. You might have married some little woman that would have driven you nuts all your life. <laughs> you have no idea what your life would have been. No idea. No clue. I love my life. I love being a minister. There's no other thing. I believe this is what God called me to do. But, I'm, I, but I'm, I'm, I'll tell you right here today, it's not that it's always easy. Laying down your life is not easy. Sacrificing for one another. Number three, being hospitable. They were hospitable. My gosh, they were hospitable. Off the chart hospitality. And it says they offered hospitality. Look what it says there, because it's interesting. This must have been significant to even say it. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They were having a time. They were enjoying it. They weren't gritting their teeth and saying, I hate this. They were loving it. They were glad. They were sincere. This is awesome. It's the best thing I could ever imagine. They really wanted to love each other. They really wanted to sacrifice for each other. They really wanted to serve each other. And they were having a time doing it. I know what it means to be hospitable. It means someone has to clean the house before they come. It means that someone has to make the meal that's going to be served. Someone has to entertain while the people are there. Someone has to clean up after they leave. Any of you in the homes here that have offered hospitality, you know what I'm talking about. We got people coming over tonight. Uh oh. <laughs> Marty, can you do this? Marty, can you do that? Marty, can you do something else? Not that Chris is not doing anything. She's doing other things, but she's directing the affairs at that particular moment. At that particular time, I'm on her ship and she is in command. I mean, it is Chris, you've got the con. Yes, I am. Oh, we're out of this. Can you run to the store? Sir? Yes, sir. And I take my cell phone with me because by the time I get to the store, I'm calling with something else that we need while I'm at the store. Guys, listen to this. Jesus said, go in the wall of the world and make disciples. Teach them to obey everything I commanded you. What, did, what, what went through their mind? Well, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, you've got to be a servant. And he said, if you're really going to be a servant, you've got to be like me. The, they preach. About 3,000 people got baptized. Wow! Wow! What are we going to do? Uh, I think I think we better teach them to serve each other, to love each other. We better teach them to pray. We better teach them to take communion, to be close to God and close to each other. We're going to have to somehow take... Okay, you got a house over here. We get two families in there. And, and, and there's some sort of organization and leadership. Acts 2, 42-47 is what they did. They did these things and apparently they did them unbelievably well. There was such an aura and a... It says that they were all in awe. Unbelievable! It's how they felt about their life in Christ. And you know the last thing that's said here? The Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. You know, oftentimes we say, boy, the church, the church needs to have more baptisms. The church needs to grow. 
It doesn't sound like anything in this passage says that the leaders are kicking the people's bottoms and saying, God, share your faith! God, share your faith! Apparently, the dynamic of their relationships was such that the other people around them that knew them and observed what was going on is that people were being saved. This sermon doesn't have anything to do with evangelism. It's just in the text. It's just what the Bible says. It says they had such a dynamic that people were being saved on a daily basis. I hope that for every single one of us, study like this just turns us on spiritually. It lights the fire in our heart. Man alive, we, I've got to get busy. I, I've got to be like Jesus and brothers and sisters around me and be the kind of man, be the kind of woman that God has called me to be. If I convicted you today about something in your life, if you felt like, man, Marty's talking to me, I can assure you I don't have any particular person in mind on any particular thing. But I will say this, if you feel that in your heart, you need to ask yourself, is Marty picking on me or is the Word of God, is the Holy Spirit picking on my heart, pricking my heart saying, hey, it's time to do something here. It's time to be something here. It's time to make make decisions in my life. It's time to change. It's time to be all that God wants me to be. Love you guys. Awesome to have you here today. I know we have many visitors here today. We're proud that you're here. And uh, my wife is acting like she hasn't announced. We knew I had all that power. I would have more if I would have known. For those of you who are at Women's Day, we gave out flyers for our upcoming uh, rest of the year for the Women's Midweeks. Uh, Our first of the year midweek that we have together here at uh, Glendale, the first Wednesday of each month, uh, is going to be split men and women. And the women are having a special series. Uh, We're having guest speakers in every month. And you can, it's totally free. It was included in the cost of the Women's Day uh, to have the speakers come. So it's a great opportunity to get your friends out. And I'll leave the flyers up here with the subjects and who's coming. Yes. And there is child care. Yeah, it's a regular midweek, so there will be Kids Kingdom classes going on. So it's a great opportunity. I think there may be one of them that's not the very first Wednesday of the month. So look at the calendar on here and make sure you have the correct date. But, uh, and I'll be here at the Glendale building. I'll leave these up here. Thank you. You are the best. Let's have great fellowship. Yeah. Yeah.